Good morning. Join me in reading Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O oh Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Almighty Lord, we thank you for being with us this morning. We ask your Holy Spirit be upon us as we worship, serve, and hear your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will flow through Steve as he teaches us the truth from your word. Open our hearts and minds to receive this truth. And Lord, let everything we do today give you, let us give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I just, have, I just have loved being backstage and listening to you guys read these psalms over the last seven weeks. It's just been uh, refreshing. It's just been awesome to my soul. Uh, well, welcome to Life Community Church. Good to see everybody. My name is Steve Serval. I'm the lead pastor here. We're so glad that you came and joined us today. There's lots of other things that you could have been doing today, but you, you joined us here today. And I will let you guys know this. If anybody has any aims on starting some sort of a curling facility in Bluffton, like I'm, I'm your guy. Like I will just partner with you. I'm all about it. I'm, 
freaking out above curling stuff. Like, how did that guy score five points in that? Uh, I don't know if you've watched the Olympics. I watch highlights. Here's what I know. I cry. What is wrong with me? I, I just, there was, there was like a cross-country ski race that the Americans had never won in their existence before, and this lady just <laughs> stuck her foot, and I just, I watched it over and over, and I cried every time. I just, for 10 minutes, I was just bawling in my basement. <sighs> I just have to figure out. Like, what is going on? I'm, since I've been a dad, like, it's just things have changed in me. Uh, so I want to start out b- briefly by just kind of uh, celebrating something that happened here last week in this church. Uh, we had our family bowling party last week. It was at the bowling center in Bluffton. This is something that, yeah, that's a weird guy. Uh, there's something that we do on a regular occasion here. We've done it for a rhythm uh, of years in, in our church. And let me just tell you this. This was the biggest family bowling day that we've ever had. We had 149 different people. I walked into the church. It was awesome. I I walked into the bowling alley, and you can see the tables were taken. Every lane was full. It was just an awesome place to be a part of. So I just want to thank you all who were a part of it and and thank our family ministry team who's putting on events like this. you know, we've got another date on our calendar you can look forward to. March 9th is a family game night here at the church, so we're just looking forward to doing those things. And so look, you know, it's obvious that we have been in a season of transition here for months. But we, 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 we know this, that we are not where we want to be, but we're exactly where God has us. And we're going to celebrate the things that he's doing inside this congregation. We've got outreach teams that are being built. We've got our super service Saturdays planned out for this whole year. We've got all of them on the calendar. We've got mission teams that are being built. We've got life care teams being built. God's people are being empowered to do his work. And we're excited about that. And we're going to celebrate uh, along the way. So uh, you can too. Today we're going to get into uh, Psalms. We've been in this series, Psalms, the soundtrack for 2018. This is week seven of 10. We're almost in March. Uh, We started this in January. I can't believe we're in March already. Almost. That's almost here. Uh, We are in week seven. We're going to be in Proverbs. Proverbs. Wow. That was last year we did Proverbs. This year we're in Psalms. Uh, and we're in Psalm 27. And this is another one of King David's. King David's a big uh, dude to us. We love King David. Uh, he, he wrote this in his youth. It probably was written somewhere around the neighborhood of 1050 BC. So this is well over 3,000 years ago. Uh, this would have been before he would have been king. And that was believed to have happened somewhere when he was, between when he was 20 and 30, based upon what you read by the theologian. So ra- he's still rather young regardless. Uh, and so what I love about this psalm is, is the context also uh, of where this psalm was written. It was pulled out of events. Uh, David wrote this out of events that we find in 1 Samuel chapters 22 and, and 23. And so we're going to speak much about this context. We're going to root ourselves in our conversation in this context in which we find this hymn. So relatively young David. Uh, this is before Uh, He's king. Uh, God comes and he blesses him. He anoints him. And and then he doesn't really tell him what's going to happen. He's not going to tell him when or where he's going to be king. He's just going to say, my favor is on you. He doesn't lay that out to him. And he doesn't lay that out to uh, the the current king at the time, King Saul. Saul has no idea that his throne's about ready to end. Although the Lord has rejected him and put his favor on David, the winds and the wise are out there. And so David goes on. He Defeats Goliath. We remember that story. Uh, he finds favor in Saul's eyes. Saul doesn't know this guy's going to be king, but David's just a good dude. 
and he finds favor in Saul's eyes, and Saul employs him in his court. So you got, this is, I think that's crazy that you have a future king employed by the current king. He's a harp player. Anybody play a harp in here? Not so many harp players these days. David's one of those dudes. If anybody plays the harp, we, we need to get that up on stage here at some point in our worship. So David's a harp player. He finds favor with Saul. He finds favor with people. People begin to love David. It says in the word that he just is about successful and about anything that he does. And so people just keep speaking good of his name. They praise him. It's a little bit like this backup quarterback here is getting all the attention. And then eventually Saul just says, all right, I don't like this. And it says that Saul gets really jealous, not just some jealous, insanely jealous. And and many would say that he actually went clinically crazy, clinically crazy. So he sets out now to kill David. So he went from being employed in the court of Saul to now Saul is not liking what's happening here. People are praising him more than him, more than Saul. And so Saul's going to want to kill him. Saul's son is Jonathan. Jonathan and David have a special relationship. Jonathan warns David that, that, dude, my dad's nuts. He threw a spear at me, and he's out for you. You got to get out of here. So David flees Dodge, just gets out of there. He begins to flee, and this starts what is years of David trying to evade King Saul and his men. It says that Saul put 3,000 of his best men on this mission to find and kill David. Just... That's crazy. 3,000 people. And so you see David moving from city to city, stronghold to stronghold, forest to forest, moving one place to another. Uh, there's a story in, in, this, uh, in Samuel that I love where it says that David was on one side of the mountain, and then on the other side of the mountain was, was Saul and his 3,000 men. And it noted that the, this army of, of, of Saul was getting ready to capture David. They were gaining ground steadily on him, but the Lord intervenes. The Lord brings the Philistines in an invasion into the the kingdom of Israel, and and Saul is forced to take those 3,000 men and put them in the battlefront. And he defeats the Philistines, but David escapes. But as soon as he's done with defeating the Philistines, Saul relentlessly, right back at looking at David, trying to find him and kill him. Have you ever seen the movie The Lord of the Rings? Like this is that, you remember that giant eye on the tower that's just like gazing out, trying to find the ring? This is David. He is just trying, or this is Saul. He's just trying to find David, seeking him wherever he can find him over and over again. And so it is out of this context that this psalm is written. David has his enemies all around him, pursuing him time and time again. But the Lord provides time and time again ways out. And when you read this psalm, you never sense an ounce of fear in David. Like when you read that psalm today, there is no fear in David. Even even in these circumstances, there is no fear concerning his position. And that's intriguing to me because I think if you and I are put into this scenario, it goes much different. How are you feeling about some army coming at you trying to hunt you down and kill you. I'm not resting in that. I'm a little bit fearful. If I'm going to write this psalm, it's going quite a bit different. I'm writing a psalm that says, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Somebody find some help for me. And that's it. One sentence, Psalm 74 by Steve. One sentence. Nobody's up here today teaching on that. Right? Nobody's expanding upon that psalm. But what we find in David is just awesome. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? That's pretty remarkable. And I think there's some wisdom in that from the Lord that we have to look at today. And so if we pull back a 30,000-foot view of what's going on in David's life, what we see is that David is waiting. David is waiting for his kingdom. You see, God's servant David waiting. The, the prophet Samuel had come and poured oil over David's head. He had been anointed. David would have known what that anointing meant. He would have known that he would be the next king of Israel. He knows that. But he's in the season where I know that I got a kingdom waiting for me. I know that I'm going to be king. But I got this dude that's trying to kill me. And I'm just waiting for God for you to give me what you've told me is mine. And this is really what we want to focus our attention on today, is this area of waiting, this aspect of waiting for what's next in our life. How you guys feel about waiting? I'm not good on it. I'm just going to let you know. I'm not good with it. Um, you know, we do a lot of shopping on Amazon in our house. We do a lot of our household shopping on Amazon. And Amazon has two days shipping. They have two-day shipping, and that's really quick, except for when it's not quick enough, right? Just need that stuff to be here quicker than two days. Uh, one of uh, my beliefs in life, it's a strange belief, is that God created uh, healthcare companies for me to, be, to learn how to wait, right? Just, I have so many calls to healthcare uh, companies. Maybe you guys can reflect on this. Just like every time I call, like I'm on the marketplace, anytime I have to call, it's like an hour. And there's always, a, why do I have to go through verbal menus all the time? If you're here to pay a bill, say pay bill. If you're here, your employer, is there, can I just say, like, I'm really confused by you, and somebody do something for me. I just want to say that, but no, I have to push zero every time and go to the operator, and then they got to figure out what I need, and then I get transferred to another area. I just, I just hate it. I hate, I just am not good at waiting. I begin to get reckless. Here's what happened. All right, this last year, reckless and waiting, just didn't want to do it, and so I just was on hold, had that music hung up, and just decided I was going to do this whole insurance thing myself, and ended up like, I had a child that didn't have insurance for a month, because I just couldn't wait. I just tried to figure things out on my own, and it was disastrous for me. My heart just became reckless. I made some reckless decisions. And so what we see in the midst of waiting is that waiting can create a reckless heart, like I had, and a reckless heart most always often creates a reckless life. You know, I know that many of you in this room are waiting for something. Maybe you're not waiting on a return call from your healthcare company, but maybe you are waiting on a call from the doctor. Maybe you're waiting on some news. Maybe you're waiting on a new job. Maybe you're waiting on a promotion, waiting on a decision, waiting on an answer. Maybe you're waiting on a relationship. Maybe you're just waiting to figure out what is it that God has for me in this season. We all are waiting, in some essence, for the return of our Savior. Someday that we might be home with him before he comes here. We're all waiting in some ways. There's lots of waiting. And what we see in the example of David is not somebody who waited recklessly, but somebody who had great courage in the midst of it. David says this in his psalm. He says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And so David's condition isn't one of recklessness. It's one of courage. He has no fear. He has no fear. Most of us, 
if we're honest, when we get into a position of waiting, what does it create within us? Get anxiety. I don't even know if that's a word. I just made it up. And we get anxiety. We get some uh, stress. We panic. We start thinking, like, what am I going to do about this stuff? What, what am I going to say? Uh, who's going to afford this? What do we need to do to get things in order? That fear often leads us to recklessness. And then we, you know, we rush to decisions. We jump to conclusions. We escalate things. That fear just robs us. Fear's just a thief that robs us of waiting in God's promises with courage. Fear just robs us. There was a lady, her name was uh, Hetty Green. She lived uh, in the late 1800s. She died in 1916. She was one of the richest women that has ever lived, well, in that time, not today, but probably today. She had a legitimate fear that she was never going to have enough. She was never going to have enough, so it led her to do these crazy things to preserve wealth. She was one of the world's most well-known miser. I don't know if you've ever heard of a miser. A miser is somebody that hoards money. So Hetty Green, she would eat cold oatmeal every morning to conserve electricity and gas. You don't want to have to pay those bills. She didn't have hot water. She didn't have hot water. She told her laundress to only wash the stains on her dress, not everything, just the parts that were dirty so she could conserve soap. Later in her life, she gets a bad hernia. This is true, guys. This is a true story. There's an operation that can fix it. It costs $150. She refuses to have it because it costs too much money. She's in a wheelchair for most of the rest of her life. When Hetty Green dies, her estate is valued at over $100 million. $100 million. In today's money, do you know how much that is? $2.25 billion. She lived in fear that she was never going to have enough, so much that she never learned to enjoy what she already had. And that's what fear does in us. It, fear creates that we're not going to have enough, and it prevents us from enjoying what we already have. And, and do you know why David just doesn't lean into fear here? Because he knew what he had. He knew what he had. He knew what it was promised to him. He was going to be king. He had a kingdom waiting for him. He was anointed. And he rested in that. He found comfort in that. He took courage in that promise. Because listen, when you know your future, like you don't fear the present. You don't. When you know the future, you don't fear the present. If you know how this is going to play out, you're not going to get concerned about the, the ins and the outs of what's going on in this condition. I, I know I got a kingdom waiting for me. And what David has in front of him strengthens his resolve in the present. And it wasn't just what was promised to him, it was whom promised it. And you may think, well, that's great. I, I love, thanks for telling me the story of King David, who's got an anointing, he's got a favor from the Lord, he's got a kingdom waiting for him, he's going to be king, I'm sure that's great, but I'm not sure that I'm that guy. He gets to know that everything's going to work out, but that's not me, that's not me. Uh, I, look, I can't even make it to my next paycheck, I don't think. I, I, I've got nothing promised in front of me, nothing given to me. And then look, if that is your thought, um, I want to challenge what you've been thinking very gracefully and lovingly. You, you're assuming wrong. The great thing about our word is that the, the Old Testament where we find Psalms is it always foreshadows the things to come in Christ. This example of David is going to foreshadow what God is going to do for the rest of his people in his new covenant. The reality is, is that you 
do have promises. Not just one, but you have many promises from the Lord. In fact, you are also God's anointed. You are his anointed, just like David. In 1 John, we see this. It says, but the anointing that you received, this is referring to you, those who profess belief in the name of Christ. But, you, for, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Anointing simply means God's chosen one. And for those who have trusted by faith in Christ, you are his chosen ones. And with anointing comes the presence of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us and amongst us. And in that anointing, you have been chosen and empowered, that you are equipped for every type of good work to resist the enemy, to know the truth, to preach the gospel, to be able to pray, to have fellowship with God, and to have courage in the midst of waiting. And so listen, I, I think one of the things that when I read this that, that just really kind of took my breath away is that, that you're not unlike David. You're not unlike David. David, when he was young, the, the, the prophet Samuel came and poured oil on his head. That was his anointing. But God says, and it says that the Lord's spirit rushed upon him from that day forward. When we confess our life or our, our, with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that he died for our sins and was raised from the dead, we become God's anointed. And his spirit is given to us, the Holy Spirit. And in his spirit is an assurance of an eternal inheritance that we will get when we are in eternity with him. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on your share of an eternal kingdom. That portion that we talked about that lasts forever last week. And so, just like David, who has, been ca has cause to be courageous in the midst of his waiting, because he knows what's promised to him, we too can have courage and not fear. Uh, Franklin uh, Delano Roosevelt, Delano Roosevelt wrote this. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. We, in our belief in Christ, have a hope that causes us to believe in something greater than the fear of the world. That we already have a Savior who's conquered the world. It says in John 16, Jesus says these words, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as a believer, we get to be compelled by an understanding that the battle has already been fought and the victory has already been declared. The banner of victory is hanging. We can take heart in this world of tribulation and waiting because we have a Savior who's already overcome it. And it's through his spirit that we have a guarantee that that victory is indeed ours. And so in the midst of our waiting, we can take courage and not fear because we know our future. And that future informs our presence. And what I love about David is in the midst of that waiting, he's not passive. I think sometimes as, as Christians, we can get passive. David's not passive, he's courageous, he's bold, he acts boldly in his waiting. Uh, there was, uh, there's a couple stories, I just want to highlight one, where David spares the life of Saul. So Saul is the man that's trying to kill him, David has the means to kill him, he doesn't. 
David finds himself in the presence of Saul. Saul doesn't know he's there. And he's got people encouraging him, hey, the Lord has given him into your hand. Kill this guy. And David, I don't think that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And so David goes up to him and he cuts off a piece of his robe, cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. And Saul leaves and in the distance you see David hold up this robe and say, I could have, I could have. But he doesn't. That's gutsy. David is empowered in his waiting to act courageously. He acts courageously. What I, and, and, and our courage from the Father allows us to do the same thing, to do things unusual, to tell the story differently because we know who we are and we know what's going on. We know what's promised to us. We know the type of courage and, and, and hope that we have in Christ and it should cause us not to rest just easily, but we can be boldly to take risk for the gospel, to tell a different story. Look, look when we wait, oh, when people do things to us, I mean, we just have a different story. I have a courage in God that, that I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to be dictated by what you've done to me. I can choose to forgive you even though it's hard because I've got all I need in the Lord. I've, I'm, I've got a courage that comes with the Lord because I know what he's promised to me. And what I love about David and his courage is that he easily be, could become arrogant, he could become cocky in his position, in his condition, but his spirit always remains dependent. That's what I love about David. It, just, it doesn't take long for David just to come back to the Lord. He says this in the psalm. He says, one thing that I ask the Lord, just one thing, he's asking him just one thing, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to see your beauty. That's the one thing that David asked for. Of all the things that he could have asked for, and he does ask, but that was the most pressing need of his heart, that God, can you just promise me that I'm gonna be with you in our forever? I don't care about all this stuff. I, I just wanna be with you. Just promise me that. You know, if you had one thing to ask the Lord, what would it be? Would it be that, uh, Lord, I could take a million dollars right now. I could take a new house. Lord, could you just get that person out of my life? But I just love the beauty of the one thing that David asked because it informs so much of where he is and what he's going to do. I just want to be with you, God. Look, I can't explain to you why you're waiting. I don't know why the Lord is, is delaying response in, in your world. I just know that there's a reason for it. There, there's a reason for it. And we see it time and time again in Scripture that we have just an ancestry of people who just wait. And there's always reason for it. But the only thing that we need to concern ourselves about is, God, I just want to be with you, whatever this is. And that informs ourselves and gives us confidence. Uh, when we look at this psalm, there's, there's two different psalms, it feels like, that are just kind of joined together. The first half is like this cry of, of confidence, and the, the second half is just David kind of seeking dependence on the Father. He says that, that my heart says to you, your face do I seek. Teach me your ways, O Lord. And inside of the context that we, we, we elevated today in 1 Samuel, we constantly see David seeking the Lord, asking the Lord for perspective and wisdom. He's always seeking the Lord. I love that about David. And so what we really conclude about David in this psalm, in this context, is, is this. This is what kind of stood out to me this week. That as far as David's position, he's, he's waiting, right? He's just waiting on the Lord. He knows he has a kingdom, he knows he's going to be king. Whenever that is, he knows it. He's waiting. However, his condition 
is courage. He acts boldly without fear. And in his spirit, he's dependent. I think it's remarkable how God uses his people like David to encourage his people like us. I know that you, there are some of you in this room who, despite your attempts to find the answer, to seek forgiveness or find forgiveness or, or, or to get a reason, you're still waiting and it's unclear of how you're going to proceed in the future and your natural response is to lean into anxiety and panic and worry and fear or just to become apathetic and be uh, the victim in the scenario. You're just wrestling with waiting. Can I use today, and would you let the Lord use today to remind you of who you are? David speaks about who you are. For all the steam that we give to David of being this great guy, all the books that are written about his wisdom, all the talk about God's love for you, you have to understand that David is not superior to you. He's not. He's your example. He's not superior to you. When we have faith in the Father, this is what it means. You are God's chosen one. You are anointed. You are sons and daughters of the most high God. And you have a spirit that rests in and amongst you that wants to inform your path and guide you. You are his. You have a kingdom that is waiting for you. You are heirs to the throne of God. That is who you are by your faith. And you can have courage in your waiting because of it. You can have courage in your waiting. David is not your superior. He's your example. And David ends his psalm by this, I love what he writes. He says, I believe that I should look upon the land of the good, or I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And, and this is what David is saying. Look, look, the, this world is full of death and decay. Like we feel it every day. We see it in our news cycle. We are still to cultivate this world to try to bring those hearts back to the Father. We are to, to try to point people back to who God is through Jesus. But there is another place that is the land of the living that we will surely see the goodness of the Lord in. And David says, I believe in the land and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe it. Do you? Can you say that you believe that? Do you believe that you're gonna see that goodness in the land of the living? Because if you do, it means this that you can respond differently to trials and waiting. Our position might often feel like waiting, but our condition can be courage as our spirit remains dependent. And that seems lofty and abstract, but it's who you are. You're God's anointed, his most cherished, his beloved. So much of our lives and how we go about facing things and, and processing things and deciding things is informed by what we believe to be true about ourselves. Like, I'm a dad. I told you that. I cry at commercials now. I just, my life is informed by being a dad. I just do certain things. I, I'm a pastor. I do different things because I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. Some of you are bosses, managers. Maybe your life's viewpoint is affected by what you to believe true about yourself. Today, I'm telling you this. 
You're anointed. You have a kingdom. You have a kingdom, and it's promised to you. And you can have courage in the midst of waiting. You can have courage. So don't believe the lie that the enemy wants to tell you, that you're not capable of overcoming, capable of conquering. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but one of power. It's given to all of those who believe by faith. You are his chosen one whom he loves greatly. And we can rest in that, and it informs how we go about our lives. He's great. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and we praise you as a God who just gives us more than we need. You, you, you call us to things that we don't deserve. You make us promises that we, we forget. God, you're too good to us. But sometimes we get bogged down with life, and, and we just get, we get depressed, and we get... Uh, anxiety filling our hearts. We, we get fear in our lives, Lord. But Lord, help us to see today that there is a kingdom that waits us, that we can walk courageously in this present because of it. You have called us your chosen ones. Lord, help us to see ourselves and our lives through that lens, that we can act differently because of it in this world. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ who has done for us what we could not, that we pray all of these things. Amen.